All right, welcome to the Value Script. How are we doing out there, everybody? It's a beautiful, hot summer. We're excited. We are going to dive into the five love languages. Meredith and I have been reading, taking notes, highlighting, but we have not done one thing about this book. We have purposefully not spoken to each other about it. Now, that has caused a little bit of discomfort because there were, I know that she read this book a little more uh, quickly than I did. And she was ahead of me. And so when I would come across some chapters and I'm like, hmm, I think we just had a passionately heated discussion about this topic. And, um, but I know that Meredith already read this and me just having read this, I was surprised that the reactions weren't differently between each other. So you guys, I'm assuming, usually bounce off each other reading the same you, book? Typically, if we're reading the same book, we're like, hey, oh, check this out. It's amazing. Yeah. Or, oh my gosh, this guy's stupid. Yeah, we decided yeah. to kind of not talk about it so that we could That's good. kind of be raw yeah. and now talk we're live. about it now. We now. wanted to have authentic reactions. Yeah, now so, we're live. So we're we can, with it. We may even be able to tell you a little bit how that, anyway, what, how yeah. that rule. We have no idea how this is going to go. <laughs> right. It's kind of an experiment here. Yeah. Could get excited. Let us know in the comments. Hey. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Did you enjoy this? Did you not? But Are you reading the book? Are yeah. you reading the book? That was. I was just going to say. I've been asked multiple times by people as they knew we were going through opportunities to improve our marriage. I had an office manager one time named Jeremy. He worked, he had a background in working for Blockbuster, a regional, huge regional. Oh, so random. Regional manager. But <laughs> his, his uh, big catchphrase was to never say you have a problem. You think of whatever the problem is and you say, hey, we have these opportunities. And nice. So call problems opportunities. And instead of them looking like impediments, they'll look like mileposts or goldstones. Nice wordplay to change right. the mental outlook. So that's yeah. where I was going with that, by yes. the way. Thanks for interrupting yes. midstream. Sorry. I apologize to you. Uh, my behavior was unacceptable. All right. Terrible. Here we go. Uh, should, is <laughs> we, this a book I should read? Or is this just for if you're in a marriage? Maybe no, an opportunity so for you, it, No, it really does. It talks about... <laughs> Talks in the end about just that, like how single people have found that it improves all of their relationships. Okay. And he actually did, wrote a five love languages for singles. There's five love languages okay. for children, which I totally want to read because I bet that's fantastic. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. And I think yeah. this, the general themes resonate um, throughout your life, uh, but really understanding who you are and how you perceive love and how you understand to give love. Yeah. Is your love language. Yeah. And it may be and it may not be the same language of love that your spouse speaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I kind of thought was interesting. The whole time I was reading this, I was thinking, I wonder what Meredith thinks mine is. Yeah. And I thought, well, more importantly, what is mine? And I had a hard time figuring that out. Yeah. He talks about that too. Mm hmm. And it gives you guides and steps that you can do to, to kind of help figure that out. So let's dive in. What happens to love after the wedding, Meredith? Mm, okay. So people like, we all know about what the, the in love, you're falling in love, the excited, you know. The gushy phase. The gushy phase. And so then it talks about the difference between that and the real love that can stand the test of time. Because so wait a minute. that is phase. That passionate love that's hot and exciting and fun, that's not real? Is that considered the It is the real, but, it, but it's the a honeymoon? phase. Yeah. The honeymoon? Yeah, the honeymoon phase. Honeymoon which, phase. Gotcha. Which, which, real, like which in reality, we never ended. Yes. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> You're yeah. still in it. You're we may not have begun, actually. <laughs> we might be just getting started. I think yeah, we're now we're having the honeymoon. Right. We're now, yeah, that we're might be a better honeymoon way to say right that. now. That's going to be a great yeah. clip. You know what? <laughs> in all honesty, my honeymoon was emotionally very hard for me. Really? She had no it was, idea. It, and I... I, was and it? I didn't talk about it. It was hard for me too, but for different reasons. Wait, the honeymoon itself? The honeymoon. Yeah. Oh, it was hard? Yeah. Where was it? San Diego. Well, but. our first night was spent in the Comfort Inn and Suites of Phoenix because <laughs> that was the swankiest hotel I could afford. <laughs> but it was fabulous. It was a great, I you know, mean. You know, it's funny is I think my parents held off like three years to go on our honeymoon because they couldn't afford the honeymoon. When they got what? When they got married? I actually floated that idea to Meredith, and she told me that I had to figure it out. Like that was not an option. <laughs> yeah, no, we were. I was we like, were. I don't know if we can really afford to. She's like, we're going on a honeymoon. <laughs> All right. The Phoenix, the Phoenix Suites in. Well, so that was the after we escaped the church and our families. Okay. Finally, we um, actually we got kicked out of our wedding reception faster than we wanted to. By the way, use the you were the listening. You know who you did. You know what you did. Your own wedding reception? I was just sitting down to eat cake. You guys? I was sitting down to oh eat my, my first gracious. piece of cake, just barely sat at the table with some of my buddies, and all of a sudden, somebody goes, hey, everybody, the happy couple's leaving. That person will rename my name, but you know who it is. And I was like, we are? He's like, yeah, get up. I was like, what the? You know, I just sat down. I want to relax for a minute. No, we got to clean up. We got to get out. We got to go home. Like, I, like, I thought that was my wedding reception, dude. <laughs> anyway. What? Wow. We won't get into that. We won't get into that this one. We're on the book. We're that the may book. be why the honeymoon started out off the and, wrong foot. You know, we'll save all this for another episode. Uh, Five love languages. Five love languages. What are, but that's the chapter one is what happens to love after the wedding. And, uh, uh, you know, I think one thing that he points out is that if you're going to speak to somebody from another culture, from another country that didn't grow up where you did and grew up in the same circumstances that you did, quite often you're going to have to learn to speak a different language to do it. And that makes sense. If you have a friend from another country, they probably don't speak the same language. Or even if they speak English, perhaps a different dialect. And even people that, from Australia to England across the pond where they speak proper Queen's English. Um, sorry if that wasn't a great uh, accent, but things going on around here. It's completely innocent. I what left the ring on the side Jamaican? table. But anyway, no, more, um, that was more Wales. It's uh, uh, more Wales. I have a Scottish influence, so oh, that, yeah. Scotch Irish. You know. Anyway, <laughs> well, like when I took piano <laughs> lessons from Beatrice, she was from Argentina, and like she was a concert pianist, phenomenal. But I remember looking at her, and she was saying the word quarter note, and I was like, oh my gosh, what's she saying? And after like listening, and she's going through, I finally figured out that she was saying quarter note, and <laughs> well, and it was it was certainly it took me some time to. I think that has tremendous application. Gary Chapman kind of goes into when you say I love you, you say it understanding that means something to you and your spouse hears it. It may mean something totally different to them. And it's important to figure out what those languages are and how to speak them. And probably quite probably your spouse does not speak your same love language. So if you're expressing love the way you want to be loved, which is funny, I remember us fighting and me saying you love me 100% effectively within the way you want to be loved. But I didn't feel like it was the way I wanted to be loved. And it was hard for us to really understand that conversation, mm -hmm. I think, at that time. Because you're like, what the hell we had the mean? Yeah, we had right? the feeling. <laughs> the feelings were there, but we didn't understand the foundation of why right. that was happening. So I thought that was very profound. But um, nonetheless, 
you know, a lot of times before we get married, you have these intense, passionate feelings. Hopefully that lasts for a little while in there. If, and, and if it doesn't, um, he talks about that too. But in order to effective, effectively communicate across cultural lines, we must learn the language of those with whom we wish to communicate. And that is so true in love. And chapter two, it talks about going into keeping the love tank full. And I think it's interesting. One of the saddest parts of this chapter is where he talks about this child that grew up in a home where she didn't feel loved. And it was really sad. At 13 years age of age, she was being treated for a sexually transmitted disease. And her parents, they were angry. They were upset. They're like, how in the heck did you have gotten yourself into this situation? But then um, as this girl was talking to her therapist, who was Gary Chapman, um, she talks about her father leaving. And when her father left, um, she was six years old. And she, she assumed her father left because he didn't love her. And her mother remarried when she was 10. And she thought, oh, great, now I have somebody to love me. But then still, or so, oh, great, now my mom has somebody to love her. But then she still felt like there was nobody to love her. And so this poor girl never felt loved. So all of a sudden she met this teenage boy who... Who was quite a bit older. Who was older. Teenager, but still older. Older. And he made her feel as though he loved her. Um, the whole trick, you know, right? But um, she fell for it, and she fell head over heels for this kid that really just wanted to have sex with her. But he made her feel loved. And so I thought that helped score, underscore the need for parents to make sure you understand not only how your spouse is love language and how they receive love, but we need to do that for our children as well. We need to teach them these things so that we can communicate love effectively to our children and help them understand how to navigate this landscape correctly. Yeah, because that foundation of love is what gives them that security to not fall into traps like that, you know, where they're they're searching and they're they're making mistakes because they're trying to fill a void that they have. I, I um, there's a little section here and it says our cry for love and it's talking about isolation, how isolation be devastating to people. It talks about solitary confinement in prisons. And even on a cruise ship, I was talking to a friend that was talking about a cruise. Like, if you get COVID on a cruise, he had a friend that got COVID on a cruise. So she double vaxxed, you know, super protected, double vaxxed, right? (laughs) Wearing the N95 everywhere, you know, super virtue signaling, everything. Went on a cruise, got COVID the night that she gets on the boat. They had us, you know, tested negative to get on the boat. 12 hours later, spikes of fever. And then test positive for COVID. Well, if you're on a cruise, they throw you in the bottom decks. Bottom decks don't have windows. Bottom decks are not big. They're usually staff cabins. She was locked in this very small room um, with just a bed, barely enough room to walk around the bed, a little bathroom. That was it. No windows, no sunlight, no anything. And her food was delivered to her in hazmat bags. And she was not allowed to leave her cabin for 14 days. Regardless, she was in solitary confinement, basically, on a cruise ship. Terrible. There's a lot of politics, a lot of issues. There's a lot of uh, ways we could take this. But um, her being in solitary confinement really messed with her mind, messed with her happiness. And even she noticed within just two weeks, her body totally atrophied. She'd lost a tremendous amount of muscle tone because she just had a tiny little space to exist in. It made me think about what he talks about here in this mar- in, in this relationship that he describes where solitary confinement is considered one of the cruelest of human punishments. 
It says at the heart of humankind's existence is the desire to be intimate and to be loved by another. Marriage is designed to meet that need for intimacy and love. That's why the biblical writings speak of husband and wife becoming one flesh. That did not mean the individual should lose their identity. It meant that they would enter into each other's lives in a deep and an intimate way. But then he talks about how sometimes due to resentment, regret, um, action or inaction, our marriage becomes a situation of solitary confinement. Yeah, that's that's tough. <laughs> that's you know, tough. And I know I know friends, family who have felt just that. Now that sounds extreme, but it could be as simple as um, one spouse wanting to engage and interact and the other spouse wanting to be on their phone mm -hmm. or playing video games for hours and not wanting to interact. And like, why can't you just let me be me? That's great. But there needs to be that time. You can be you, but you got to, if you want to have your relationship work, you can't leave your spouse in solitary emotional confinement. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, I don't, I think that's happening more and more like just the disengagement where you do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And we just kind of live like that. But why do you, a healthy marriage, that just doesn't work. Why do you suppose that it's happening more and more? Uh, well, I think couples like don't know how to work through the problems that they have. And so the solution, so they don't fight, is to disengage. And it's like, well, that makes you happy. That's good. You go do that. That makes you happy. This makes me happy. So I'm going to go do this and that. Oh, you do you thing. Yeah, you do you and I do me. And, and it's a little disingenuous, but like you do you in some ways. Yeah. In some ways, it's supposed to be liberating. Like, yeah, man, I support you and who you are. I love you as you are, blah, blah, blah. But true love is actually expecting the best of each other. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That's true love. And giving the best to each other. Giving the best like, to each other. So, yes, I, I yeah. You got to, like, if, at the end of the day, don't you want to be everything that your spouse wants? You to be everything that you like that your spouse desires. Don't you want to well, be as that? As long as I don't have to like do the dishes or back in the floor, right? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, no, really though, right? Like, there's some, you know, sure. as long as you don't have to rub my back every night, sure. right? Like, there's some, there's some, yeah, yeah. You know, those are actually real issues for us, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> <But> sure. <laughs> I don't like doing the dishes. I don't mind vacuuming, actually. Floors and windows. That was my. It's been my chore my whole life, and all of a sudden, <laughs> now that I don't have to do it every day for my mom, I kind of like doing it when I have to choose a chore. <laughs> I, pick what I, I guess That's you pick really what you're funny. good at, right? Yeah, because I've heard you talk about how much you hated that as a kid. Well, I was like, oh, the floor needs to be Hey, Lloyd, come in there. We need to mop the floor. Like every day. We just mopped it two days ago. It needs to be mopped again. Well, how come my sister doesn't ever get to mop the floor? Because you get to mop the floor. Okay, well, how come my sister doesn't get to clean the windows? Because <laughs> you get to mop You get to clean the windows. Great. <laughs> fantastic fantastic love those but that's what i my go-to's but um that's you know uh, as we get into it a little more it kind of makes sense as we started to uncover each other's love languages um that was a big deal like uh my my mom rubbed my dad's back every night and i was like yeah meredith i want you to do that and meredith's like eh. <laughs> <laughs> eh. and i was like and really it crushed me and she didn't even realize like i don't know can you explain like what like, what were you thinking? <laughs> no, like, <laughs> right. no, really, though, like the psychology right. behind that, like, why was that a hard no? Um, because honestly, honestly, that was a that was damaging for me. Yeah. And in the beginning, in the beginning of our marriage, we were living with your parents and uh, we were still trying only to for a couple out. months. I was yes. trying to save as much money as possible. And so Meredith put her foot down. I was like, get me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. We needed our own space. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's so cool. We can save money. 
We needed our own space. Our own she space. was right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember trying to, you know, figure out the whole marriage thing and, and work that out. And, and I remember multiple times you were like, well, my mom does this and you wanted me to, I want you to do this. And I remember thinking like, I'm not your mother, dude. <laughs> like, and so honestly, like I, that was, but, but, but for me, that was kind of an ego thing. Like what I should have done was realized like, this is a need for him and it's, and it's something that's important to him. And do I want to be the person that fulfills that need? Ultimately? Yes. I do. And, um, and, and part of it too, like the whole back rubbing thing, like growing up, my dad always wanted me to like, well, rub all his of feet. Kids, like, I'll pay you, to, I'll pay you $5 to, rub my foot. To rub his feet. Yeah. He has bad feet. And so he always wanted his feet rubbed and I just got so burned out on it. And I, anyway, so that was part it's of funny. it too. Chapman talks about that in the book though, that a lot of our primary love languages of giving and receiving, um, have a lot to do with the way our parents gave and received love. Mm-hmm. And how we were conditioned, you know, by socially conditioned, maybe it's not your parents, but you were socially conditioned to give and receive love a certain way. And, and a lot of that has to do with most often it has to do with your love languages that are primary to you, but not always. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wrote or that you marked in the book that you were specifically wanting to know what she thought of? So one thing he talks about is how... It's inevitable. If you have most euphoric, passionate, gushy love lasts about two, two years in most marriages, right? And um, then, then it becomes more work. And sometimes in relationships where it's hit or miss or it's an affair where you're not around each other all the time, you might get four years out of it. Um, and then it becomes work. Um, and the other thing too we know is that hormones, oxytocin plays a big role in bonding, the, the feeling of bonding and and bonding husband and wife and, and partners together. And that takes a dramatic drop in year seven for usually for most spouses. And that's kind of like the whole seven year itch. You know, you have the the phrase the seven year itch. That really is the reason for that mm-hmm. you know, time and how things start to become more work. Um the euphoria in love stage kind of gives the illusion that you're going to feel like that forever. You can conquer the problems, all the problems that life face, and you have that emotional drive there, but well, it just doesn't last forever. And, and too, when you have, when you're in that stage, you don't see all the problems. You know what I mean? Like, like everything you, that your person does is, is perfect and cute and like whatever, even if, even if it's kind of snarky or whatever, you just kind of laugh it off and, move on i don't know it's just it's it's different in that in that stage you know he talks about mother Teresa. that's kind of made me sad because he talked about mother Teresa and how she had such a wonderful desire to give and to serve and um you know the obsession of love and passion and desire and you know the sexual hotness and all the things that are great in the beginning stages of a marriage um, so such obsession gives a false sense that our egocentric attitudes have been eradicated and we have become sort of Mother Teresa, a willing to give anything for the benefit of our lover. The reason that we can do that so freely is that we sincerely believe that our lover feels the exact same way towards us. But they might not. Mm-hmm. And, and you may not know that. Right. Right? So what do you do about that, babe? Like, and it talks about 
Two, uh, you know, when you really, when the reality hits and you realize like, oh man, we're not in sync. We don't both feel the same way about each other. A lot of people turn to divorce mm-hmm. rather than working through it. Yeah. And that's evidence like the divorce rate's about 50%. Between 40 and 50% pretty reliably. You know, when you get married, you got about a 50-50 chance mm-hmm. at best. And and really, I think largely in part because of this, not understanding each other's love languages, and so you're not you're not hitting the mark and not understanding why it's it's not working. I think I think it's important to point out though too. He said statistically though, you know, the divorce rate for first marriages between forty and fifty percent. The divorce rate for second second marriages is much higher than the divorce rate for first marriage and the divorce rate for third marriages is even higher still. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I guess the reason I wanted to point that out is you may be thinking hitting the exit button sounds pretty attractive and it might be for the moment and it may be the right thing to do. It may be what you need to do, but more than likely it's something that it just depends. If you surround yourself with the correct resources, help yourself work, help you and your spouse work through um, things correctly and do your best to reinstill that love into your marriage. A lot of times these things can be saved and turned around and you need to realize that like it may seem sexy to hit the eject button, but that second marriage is probably going to be worse. And the third marriage is statistically, the odd statistics are just not in your favor for them working out well. At the very least, you want to know that you did everything that you could as a couple to to come together and, and make it work. Because if not, you're, you're just bound to regret it. You're not going to have that confidence that... I gave it my all. We, you know, for whatever reason, we just couldn't come together. And you just, you want to, you want to approach it that way for sure. Not give up too soon. That's kind of what the Mother Teresa comment made me feel a little, um, can't think of the correct word, but it gave me a lot of emotion because I feel like you really loved me unconditionally. We had some difficult times. And, you know, some of the worst situations to deal with in marriage. And I never felt that you didn't love me. I just always didn't, you know, as far as like the overall, like I know Meredith loves me, but I didn't always feel loved by you. And I don't know, how did you, can you, how did you feel? That was devastating for me because i i did like in my mind i was like i cannot love him anymore it's like we're going through all this hell and i'm right here and i still love you i still forgive you i still i want this to work i'm right here and to be told i don't feel loved by you that's devastating yeah so some of that in our case was speaking the correct love language that we weren't necessarily speaking the correct love language And some of that was unpacking the garbage in my own head, right? A lot of that was unpacking the garbage in my own head. So I wouldn't self-sabotage things and continue to look for evidence of things that probably weren't even really there, but to reinforce the narrative in my brain. And I think a lot of times we're really good at that, especially when we're in defense mode or we feel like we are getting put back on our heels and needing to retaliate or be offensive um, to obtain the objective we want. We get defensive. And we start looking for ways to, like, it's confirmation bias. Like, this this evidence that you did confirms that the way I think in my head is valid. But it may not even be what your wife's aware of or your spouse even knows what's going on in your head. 
So unpacking the things in my head was certainly a necessary step. But after we unpacked the things in my head, and, and we're, you know, it's still an evolutionary process, an ongoing process, and always will be a refining process. But once we did the majority of that work, things still weren't necessarily getting traction because we weren't necessarily speaking each other's love languages. And so for diving into chapters three through six, we'll do that the next episode, but we start getting into three of the major love languages and we start realizing some of the things that we needed to do in our own relationship to get traction and to get that passion, that love back and to get our love tanks filled up. So don't forget to tune in next time to the value script. We will jump into the, the first three love languages that Gary Chapman talks about and we'll see you next time on the value script. Don't forget, clickety click, like, save, subscribe, and share, baby. Share this message. Share the good word. Tell everybody that needs to hear it. Shout it from the rooftops, baby. We'll see you next time. Thank you. (laughs) 